This is Agent Carter on Defenders TV Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5, The Iron Ceiling. Welcome back, Defenders. This is Defender TV Podcast, episode 25, where we are going to look and delve into uh, Agent Carter, season one, episode five, The Iron Ceiling. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. You're a howling host. Yes, I am. Wahoo. Wahoo, wahoo, (laughs) indeedy do. Yes, I've been waiting for this episode for a long time. Um, We're very far behind the US, uh, so... We're probably, what, eight months since this episode aired in the US. Uh, all I saw were promotional images of Dum Dum Duggan, um, as I will be calling him throughout this podcast. Um, and, you know, eight months ago, um, we saw these, or six months ago, we saw these images. Um, and I've been waiting for this episode, you know, for that long. You know, the, the purpose of Agent Carter, I suppose, in my head before I saw the show was that this was going to be Peggy working with the Helen Commandos in World War II. Uh, the purpose changed. I've loved the episode so far, but this is the one I was waiting for that entire time. This was really awesome. And in fact, I thought it really connected it back to Steve Rogers as well. More than any reuse of Captain America, the first Avenger footage could could do, this yeah. really did kind of tie it in by having the Howling Commandos and obviously Dum Dum Duggan uh, in particular. So yeah. it was great. Yeah, I mean, really like this. And what's definitely. fascinating, I don't think uh, they actually mentioned the name Steve Rogers or Captain America. I don't think they mentioned his name once in the episode. There's a couple of comments about, you know, he'd be proud of you kind of thing. But we'll talk about it, I'm sure, as we get into the episode. Um, we're not wrestling on our laurels at all this week, are we? We've we just, certainly uh, aren't. Yeah, just released our podcast of um, Fantastic Four. Fantastiche. Fantastiche, yes. Um, this week. Uh, so if you're subscribed to our podcast on DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes, you will have already received that Fantastic Four review. Uh, you can see our thoughts about the uh, probably, I think, lowest grossing Marvel movie to date, I think, Absolutely. Is, uh, is where it is. Maybe not so fantastiche. Maybe, maybe. But you can find out or you can subscribe to us on, again, DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes to make sure you pick up that episode. You can also get us on any other good podcast catcher like Beyond Pod, like Player FM. Like, like Player Addict. Yeah. Uh, podcast Addict. Yeah. And uh, Stitcher as well. Uh, you can pick up that episode on there. Good uh, good discussion, actually. Um, regardless of our thoughts of the films, I think it was a good discussion. I think we were honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was a little sad at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I think. A tough old episode to record. Probably our... Um, can I say it? Can I spoil it slightly? Yeah, uh, warning, spoilers. Um, probably our most negative episode that we've ever recorded in the three podcasts that we do. I think it's the most negative episode we've done. Exactly, but we're here back with a absolute positive, and it is our quarter century. That's we are nice. 25 years, I mean, sorry, <laughs> 25 episodes old, um, which doesn't sound too much, but, you know, every little milestone helps. So thank Absolutely. you so much for listening, everyone. Um, we're pleased as punch to be at um, fantastic number 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great to be at episode 25. We've been going since April, so quite a lot of episodes recorded since April, since we started, and 11,000 downloads now at, at, uh, at most recent counts. And thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you so much for interacting with us on Twitter. Your emails to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. We'll get to some of those later in the episode. And obviously, 
on our Facebook group has been great discussion going on, particularly over the last week. So, uh, yeah, really, really happy that you guys are supporting us and great to have the listeners we have. Absolutely. If you want to clobber Fox, then um, get onto our Facebook page Absolutely. and group. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, I think it's time to get on to our fifth episode of Agent Carter for episode 25 of Defenders TV podcast. This episode was called The Iron Ceiling, directed by Peter Leto and written by Jose Molina. Um, John, do you want to tell us what we got in this episode? A frightening look into the early years of Dottie Underwood reveals that she is neither a ballerina nor from Iowa, but in fact has been trained since childhood as a ruthless assassin to infiltrate the USA and now Peggy's apartment to discover Peggy's true identity. Still hidden to her colleagues in the Strategic Scientific Reserve, the SSR, Carter finally, however, gets a chance to prove herself as she decodes an encrypted message received on the confiscated Russian typewriter for Chief Dooley. The message hires coordinates to a Soviet military complex and hints at a meeting between Howard Stark and the Leviathan. Agent Carter's place on the mission to Russia with Agents Thompson, Ramirez and Lee to infiltrate the complex, cut off the exchange between Stark and Leviathan and arrest Stark for treason is assured as she helps organise the tactical support. The one and only Howling Commandos, the 107th Regiment. Wahoo! Dum Dum Duggan, Happy Sam Sawyer, Junior Juniper and Pinky Pinkerton. Whilst on the mission, a shootout leads to death, injury and revelation amongst the tactical team, but no Howard Stark. However, the group comes across two prisoners, a brilliant engineer who has been tasked with creating weapons for Leviathan based on stolen Stark designs, and his psychiatrist, Dr. Ivanchenko. Back in the States, Peggy is recognised for her important role in the mission, but not everyone is convinced, as whilst out of the country, Agent Susan makes an important discovery that threatens Peggy's other secret missions. He matches two bullet wounds on Carter's shoulder with wounds on the photo of the blonde lady from Spider Raymond's club. Susan realises that Peggy Carter may not be all she appears to be. Wow, what an episode. What a load of stuff going on. Loads of stuff going on. Really jam-packed and probably had better resolutions than Fantastic Four. <laughs> Spoilers again. Spoilers again. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely fantastic. Really, really love this episode. Um, I'm, I'll get really in-depth in my points this week. Uh, if this is your first time joining us for one of our Defenders podcasts, what we do is we take five points each uh, on our thoughts of the episode, the things that stood out to us, the things possibly good or bad that happened throughout the episode, and hopefully by going through them, uh, we'll cover all, everything about the episodes. So Derek, uh, do you want to give your first Howling Commando point? <laughs> I do have a lot of Howling Commando's point, but I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start right at the start. Oh yeah. my god. Because what a moment. What a moment. We get to see young Dottie. Uh, uh, young Dottie Underwood in the Red Room training facility, which is fan- fantastic, really cool, nice connection to the to the movies. Um, the Red Room training facility, for those of you not as connected to the to the comics or to the movies, um, this is where they train the Black Widows. This is where essentially Natalia Romanoff, famous famous on screen as Scarlett Johansson, this is the kind of place she would have been trained in and gotten all of her talents and abilities. Essentially, um, you can see now it's kind of added a good bit of depth to 
to Natasha's character, something we haven't really gotten in the Avengers films. But you know that she has baggage to carry. You know that she always says she's got red in her ledger, essentially. She's always trying to make up for the killings and the kind of things she's done in her past. And you can see if she got the kind of training that Dottie does in this episode, you can see the kind of stuff that she's trying to make payback for, I suppose. Um, some of the things that are in there, obviously, is, um, you know, that Dottie has to murder one of her friends, essentially, in this episode. In a chilling moment, really, when you see two young girls beating on each other. And then... A neck being snapped, essentially. This is this is a, an early evening TV show for a lot of people. That's pretty brutal. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of my points as well, um, which was Dottie and her flashback um, rather than her flash dance. But um, <laughs> I was like, wow. I was not expecting the neck snap at all. I mean, you've just kind of had this moment where... Uh, you know, for people who don't realise it's the Red Room, um, people are thinking, oh, look, it's, you know, a weird boarding school or dormitory, you know, yeah. cuffed to the bed. Okay, you yeah. realise it's some kind of training facility. Maybe they were just naughty girls, so but, they just want to handcuff them down so they don't go out Well, maybe, maybe, but something. you don't expect that um, that neck snapping, that, that yeah. real cold, ruthless, merciless streak coming from Dottie especially because you've just seen them sharing a bit of bread that obviously one of the girls who has kept from from breakfast or or whatever in the dormitories yeah so you feel as though there's some kind of bond there between them and then you think okay they're training they're training to be an assassin and you know bish bash bosh snap dispatched Mm -hmm. to the ground yeah yeah absolutely really a big shock and as I say um totally um of a shock but I thought it was brilliant that they showed that yeah I like the little touch of them sharing the bread because it's showing you that they're obviously mistreated they're clearly not getting enough food because they're hiding bread so they can if they can have some food in the morning when they wake up essentially so it's just a nice little touch that there's obviously something quite quite big going on here yeah and from the breaking of the bread to the breaking of Dottie's friend's neck yeah yeah absolutely another big important thing about this scene as well this is our first huge Disney crossover in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Disney obviously own the rights to Marvel. Um, but we have Snow White here teaching the children how to be bad. Yeah, as they're sitting watching and singing along with, uh, with Snow White, there's some subliminal messages being played throughout the, uh, the scene from Snow White. A really interesting point about this, I was hearing Jose Molina, the writer of this episode, talk about getting the rights to use a Disney a Disney piece, particularly one of their biggest uh, films of all time, Snow White. Uh, and he's essentially saying that Disney were okay with them using it as long as it was kept far enough away from the killing of, uh, of the other children, essentially. As long as it was kept away from the violence as much as they possibly could, they were allowed to use the scene, which I thought was quite fun. But it was. Like, later on, we see that subliminally within the the reel there is instill fear mm. uh, crafted onto the film That's right. but there's also the other purpose of the film which is for them to essentially get used to american culture so that they can infiltrate it mm-hmm. so by seeing snow white and the seven dwarfs and um, there is obviously that cultural aspect but also and one thing that i took was what Snow White is saying about being a good woman mm-hmm. of that day, which is cleaning and doing all that kind of housework yeah. stuff. Um, and that element to it as well, that indoctrination to fit in. Yeah, yeah. And that's 
kind of the sad commentary about that piece is that to fit in, you have to know your place, yes. as it were, yeah, it was. as as a woman in uh, American society at that time. So it was, it was really good on a whole load of different levels. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And they must have been expecting a lot of very small men when they arrived in in America after that after watching that so many times. No, well, yeah, absolutely. A load of uh, dwarfs, um, <laughs> the true American hero. Of course, of course. All right, John, is that your first point as well, or do you have another? It was. The only other thing I kind of had uh, to this was that, obviously, we also get to find out about Leviathan here and that it's a covert Russian kind of agency, maybe the, the uh, similar to the SSR, um, and that you had all this going on and whether this, uh, the Red Room, whether Dottie Underwood, obviously there seems as though she's working for Leviathan at this moment in time, yeah. whether the Red Room and Leviathan have this training program for these assassins. Yeah, perhaps they're connected. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But we, we now realise it's an organisation, very much like SSR, not an individual as such from what I can see. Yeah. Um, I also do think that, um, I think I'll move on to my actual second point here. There's a lot of underwear jokes in uh, this episode. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, we have a number of different uh, underwear jokes. Um, when Dottie is infiltrating into Peggy's apartment, she um, goes to her underwear drawers. Mm -hmm. By drawers, I mean, as well, her chest of drawers <laughs> um, to find out uh, and investigate Peggy, who she really is. And that's where she discovers all the uh, photographs that she took for Howard Stark um, with the camera pen that's right. from the previous episode. So again, a nice little bit of continuity there. She then also finds the Sweet Dreams lipstick as yeah. well that um, she's used previously. So all really nice little bits of continuity here. And luckily she sniffs it rather than putting on her lips or, or licking it or anything like that because otherwise she'd be passed out in the room when Peggy returns from uh, from Russia. So uh, quite interesting. Exactly. And then when um, they go to infiltrate into this Soviet um, facility, this, this military or Leviathan complex, but as they walk into the facility, obviously it just looks like a boarding school. It looks very creepy. It mm -hmm. looks like something like completely out of, you know, Village of the Damned or something. Mm. It, it's deserted. There's, you know, I think someone accidentally turns on the projector and out comes um, Snow White from there, you know, going through. And Peggy goes, does anyone else feel a chill going up their knickers? To which Junie, to which Junior, Juniper responds i would if i wore knickers um again <laughs> it's just some really good banter between yeah. peggy and the howling commandos on i mean to say juniper ju junior juniper oh my goodness like tongue twister um <laughs> I, I wish they hadn't picked names that rhyme so much like this um because it's actually junior Junior James Juniper. Nope, John Jonathan Junior Jonathan Junior Juniper. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you need something to drink after saying that. There's, Definitely. There's our Stan Lee trait. Definitely. Yeah, but I just loved it. It was great banter between them. Um, in fact, actually as well, just on a contrast to that, the fact that it is Junior Juniper that, that 
dies and gets uh, killed um, by one of the assassin kids. Mm. I mean, obviously, children are dangerous. Yes. Don't have them. Um, it's like, <laughs> uh, it's really little sad because I just thought that bit of banter between him and Peggy was really, really nice. And it kind of, it felt like Peggy back in her element um you know, with the lads, but being treated as an equal and um, really, really good. And this really came through, I think, for me in this little bit of banter that they they had here. Um, and I, I, yeah, shot dead by a kid. Children are dangerous. Yeah, that was a little Eva. The, uh, Handle with care. The f- <laughs> yes, yes, little Eva, the first of the new batch of uh, of Black Widows. You wonder if their class is about sixteen, or there are another fifteen assassins now roaming the world that got away and Eva didn't or was she just the final survival of a battle royale of the of the uh, the Black Widows yeah but I love that I love you playing on people's inherent fears about children and you know that question of what happens if they were more powerful than adults? Yeah. That, that thing that comes through, I mean, whether it's the Midwich Cuckoos from John Wyndham or Village of the Damned, you know, Children of the Corn, and now with these kid assassins from the Red Room, yeah. um, from Leviathan maybe, it all plays into that great sort of complex fear of the children taking over mm-hmm. from the adults and what happens if they're more powerful, more intelligent, more clued in than the adults. And, and it's a great little trope, I think, to have as well. Definitely. And what great little killing machines. Because, you know, even Dum Dum, who's a worldly soldier who's seen a lot during the wars that he's been in, he's taken and taken aback by Eva when she asks him what's his bowler hat for kind of thing. And he gives her the hat and then that's when the attack begins. So, yeah, really good, uh, really good scene and really, really interesting. Fantastic, right, in this episode. Definitely. Um, Derek, what's your next howling point this is by howling commandos point without a doubt right i'll set it up because we've we've been discussing uh marvel now for 25 episodes so far so really good timing to talk about this i mentioned on our first ever episode that my favorite character is nick fury uh agent of shield as he was um my introduction to nick fury was in in late late 80s probably but i went back and bought all of the sergeant fury comics i think i have a set right the way through from issue one all the way to 75 Mm -hmm. and these were war comic books i was never a war comic book fan i wouldn't have read anything else but what got what my gateway drug for it really was nick fury and what was really interesting about these comics was the characters that surrounded nick um, he was just the leader. He was just the colonel, or was this the sergeant? Obviously, hence the title of the book. Um, but the actual crew that was around him, one of the interesting things about the 107th is that they were an all-inclusive regiment in uh, in the army. Um, bef- they, were, they were a team that were around before the uh, separation between white and black soldiers had been annulled, um, but they had a black soldier as a member of their crew. Um, they did have number of people various from various countries they had british they had italian they had german uh, all members of their group of the highland commandos and um, what i love about this episode and i've been waiting so long to talk about this and i'm delighted it's held up <laughs> what i love about this episode is that they've had to do their homework they've had to go and get some of the real howling commandos that i remember from uh, from my childhood remember from the comic books reading uh, and what's interesting is the story behind it um again i'll pop up the link to this other podcast in uh, in our show notes but there is a podcast where each of the writers takes their episode and talks about their de- the details behind their episode so i was listening to the jose molina one today where he mentions that essentially originally they were just going to have the same characters from um, Captain America, 
first Avenger. The uh, James Falsworth, Gabe Jones, and uh, Jim Morita, who were supposed supposedly the Helen Commandos. The only one of those that is really a Helen Commando from the beginning was Gabe Jones, um, who, again, as I say, was the black character in the team. Um, the ones he's chosen, essentially, who are Samuel Happy Sam Sawyer, Jonathan Jr. Juniper, and Percival Pinky Pinkerton. They are three <laughs> of the main characters. Yeah, I love Percy Pinky 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 Pinkerton. <laughs> I know, but it's really interesting how they deal with the characters in here as well. But you have an interesting point as well on Pinky Pinkerton, don't you? Like yeah. that you read recently, uh, talking about being all inclusive band of of soldiers and, and generally cracking fellows. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting uh, discussion about. Pinky Pinkerton and from Stanley. That's right. Yeah, he was. He was actually um, was in a discussion with a Christian rights group, I believe, uh, in early two thousand when the Rawhide Kid, who was a, another character in Marvel Comics, so when they decided to out him and say that he was gay, he was talking to a religious group who had some problems with Marvel Comics having a gay character. And what he said was, "We actually introduced a gay character back in nineteen sixty three with Pinky Pinkerton in issue eight of." of Sergeant Fury and Helen Commandos. We never called him gay in the comic books, but he was clearly gay. That was the that was the first character really that was uh, that was out in Marvel Comics, but they never had to say anything. They just made reference occasionally to the fact that that uh, to his style and to the type of person he was. Occasionally he's been kind of changed slightly as being more of a playboy character, but from Stan Lee, the creator of those comics, he's saying that the character was gay. So that was quite interesting. A British dandy, yes, no yes. Bless his cottons. Absolutely. Um, but again, some of the other points that I have about the Helen Commandos themselves. Um, essentially, Happy Sam Sawyer was the leader of this group um, in the comic books. He was the general. He was the one that sent them out in their missions and gave them their missions. And there was a very specific reason for this. He was a very strong army man and got injured in war. And had to had to sit it out. So he sat at home and sent the team out on their missions. Again, what I love about it is obviously in this episode, if you noticed, Happy Sam was the one that got shot in the leg. So he is now injured. He may have to leave the Helen Commandos and go and take a post uh, on the sidelines, essentially, um, which I really liked. And I love the fact that essentially the name comes from him being a gruff kind of character who never smiles. And this character doesn't smile at all in the episode. So I like that little uh, little touch. And this is the character in the big shootout at the military complex yeah. is the one that is um, held hostage almost by the engineer who, who's been designing um, for Leviathan from stolen stock plans. That's right. Um, he's the one that being held to ransom to, to get a, an, an escape from the facility. Yeah. But ultimately the engineer obviously gets shot by Avenko. That's right. Yep, yep, that's right. So um, so that's one of the main characters, obviously. And then you mentioned Junior Juniper's death. Um, this is huge, and I tweeted it out last night when we were watching the episode. Um, Junior Juniper is a hugely inspirational character for Sergeant Fury and for the Helen Commandos. The reason why is because, guess what? He lasts four issues of the comic book. He's the youngest character. It's kind of... It's written around it because obviously these were aimed at kids back in the 60s, but it's written around it. It's, he's essentially supposed to be the kid's perspective on war, um, very much like Bucky and Captain America. He's supposed to be kind of 16, 17 and got into the army, um, falsifying documents kind of thing is, is the way it is. In the first issue of Sergeant Fury, he's the one that saves the team. Um, he's the one that, that gets them out of it. So you'd expect that this character would last throughout the series. By issue four, he's the one that gets killed leading to the Howling Commandos 
um, getting more training to become the best possible army troop that can possibly be, essentially. So he's a hugely inspirational character, and I love that he doesn't make it out of this episode because of that reason. Because, again, unfortunately, you have to deal with this idea in war that you're going to lose members of your team. If there's one member you're going to lose, kind of had to be Junior Juniper. But, yeah. Yeah, and it's great that it's staying true to the actual source material, even though you know there is a slight change up here because Sergeant Fury is not there and so on. But it, it's staying true yeah. to the 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 source material, and that's really good. I mean, for me, just having the Howling Commandos there, I know that you absolutely adore them. Absolutely, okay. I would never have known them. I would never have gotten their comics or anything like that. And um, but I actually do think that there was a publication in the UK, a comic book. It was like a compilation um, comic that I used to get as a kid. But I think it had the Howling Commandos and it had excerpts from the comics uh, reprinted in there. And they were some of my favorite bits of that um, comic. So it was really interesting. That's what I remember from them anyway. But I just thought it was fantastic to see them because I've kind of really grown to enjoy the Howling Commandos, sort of that whole World War Two aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously moving in then certainly with uh, Sergeant Fury into Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D., fantastic. Yep. But I, I absolutely thought the introduction of the Howling Commandos in this episode was great, uh, absolutely brilliant, a complete and utterly great move on the part of the writers and the creators um, because I've mentioned it already with Junior Juniper um, and obviously now with Dum Dum Duggan, you know, again, it's just that inclusivity with Peggy that they have. And I mean, again, with Dum Dum Duggan's chat with Peggy in the back of the transporter as they're heading off to infiltrate this uh, facility, you know, and she's brought him um, a bottle of bourbon and he's like, Germans know how to brew beer only Americans know bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I love that she's brought um, a bottle of bourbon for him. And it's that camaraderie, the, um, irrespective of gender, colour, sexuality, all that. Yeah. It's an absolutely great um, camaraderie. And I just think it's an, um, really good because it contrasts as well with essentially all those misogynistic guys back in the SSR um, so far in this season. Yeah. But even there, I think things are... Beginning Developing. To, beginning yes. to change, yeah, definitely. Well, let me just kind of preview the end of, of my thoughts of this episode and just say, can you imagine if you felt as good as I do after this episode of Peggy Carter, if you felt that good after watching Doctor Strange next year and realised they've given him the treatment that he deserves? Look, end of the day, being a Sergeant Fury fan means that you're in the 1% of a 1% group. It's a tiny group of people that know the character and know the details and read the and read the comic books and are still comic book fans um, I'm delighted that we got even half an episode here just to see the Helen Commandos and see what they're like and kind of live a bit of time with the Helen Commandos you know it's just something that I never thought I'd see on screen and I really realized it very well one last thing that I'll say from um, from the podcast and from the interview with Jose Molina uh, what he did say was he'd love to do a spin-off show that is about the certain about the Helen Commandos themselves he said essentially to cast the characters and cast the actors he wrote up two pages of dialogue for each character and um, giving them some backstory of who they were so each of the actors knew exactly what that character came from and where they came from what their motivations were that kind of stuff uh, most of them don't even get two lines in the episode but you can tell that each of them's coming from a place where they know exactly what their backstory is which i think is absolutely fantastic thank you so much jose thank you so much 
Agent Carter writers. And thanks so much, Agent Carter. I'm delighted. John, what's your next point? My next point are Revelations. Mm-hmm. Chapter 4, verse... No, no. Um, <laughs> no, it's the... There's two revelations here in, in this episode. Um, one surrounding Agent Thompson, Jack Thompson, mm-hmm. and the other is the potential revelation that is beginning to surface away um, of Agent Peggy Carter. And I find this really interesting because it's two that have essentially headbutted throughout the season so far. And I, I think it's a really nice little... Um, bit of writing again and a nice bit of characterization uh, done by the two actors yeah like first of all we have the revelation about agent thompson and where he gets his navy cross from and this is actually exposed to peggy and and essentially by peggy because he freezes under fire actually she is hugely um understanding about it Mm -hmm. she says everyone does everyone freezes under fire and he goes on to tell her this story where the japanese who he said were attacking the camp and who he fought off and killed were actually coming with a white flag to surrender and he buried the white flag and so actually his navy cross is somewhat dubious yeah and peggy seems to actually be quite understanding about that and says that mistakes were made. And in fact, he says himself, until he realized that they were actually surrendering rather than attacking. But but at that stage, it was too late. It was yeah. a mistake on his part. But it's a huge revelation for him um, and for his character. And it's been exposed or it's been told to the person who he has up till this point been hugely dismissive of. Um, you know, he's wanted to tell this story, to come clean, to tell the truth. Um, and then similarly, then we have with Peggy Carter, the revelation that she is not all uh, what she appears to be for other members of the SSR. Mm. And this is from the discovery made by Agent Sousa back in the US whilst she's out gallivanting with the Helen Commandos in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's and that is really, really interesting that through, again, a great bit of humor and it's basically where Sousa has found out that Peggy has the same scars on her shoulder yeah. as the blonde lady from um, Spider Raymond's club. And that photograph of her where it's only her back, it's she's got the blonde wig on, but he can see the two wounds. And he makes that discovery and realizes that maybe Agent Carter is something completely different. And obviously, this is hugely threatening to to Peggy because is it to do with Howard? Is it to do with the Russians? Mm. I mean, this is coming up to, like, the start of the Cold War. You know, Soviets versus the US uh, and NATO and all this kind of stuff. So this is puts Peggy Carter in a really perilous place. But I do like how that wound those two kind of bullet wounds on her shoulder was identified and where Sousa essentially then began to sort of put the pieces of the jigsaw together. And there's a great little bit of humor with, you know, Peggy has been given the task of joining Thompson and the others on this mission. And she doesn't want to go and get changed down in the, the diner downstairs in the women's toilets where, yeah. because there's no female toilets in the, um, in the SSR, she says, I'm going to get changed in the men's changing room. So she goes in and 
again, there's some amazing, really good just locker room banter going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost like foretells what's going to happen when she meets with the Howling Commandos. But it, it's not quite as um, pleasant for her, maybe. It's a bit more combative. But it's pure locker room banter. Um, and Thompson plays a, a joke on, on Sousa as he comes in trying to find out where um, I think Carter is. And he sends Sousa around the corner where Carter is and she turns around and he's all embarrassed and looks away but spots the wounds on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's a nice little um, way of finding that weak spot because she's been so careful to um, hide her investigation of um, Stark's weapons, Leviathan, and so on. Yeah. But here is the person now who has been one step ahead of the SSR, and she's the net is beginning to tighten. She's kind of about to be sort of revealed, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not in this episode, it doesn't happen, obviously, but I think she's on a fine line now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The revelation for that Sousa had now found out who she is, or potentially is. It's really interesting, isn't it? I'm going to see more of that, I'm sure, as we go along. Um, I did have a similar point to uh, to Agent Thompson's story, but it was a little more connected to Helen Commandos, obviously. Um, the first time he tells the story, essentially, is just after Junior Juniper is telling the story about the Bigfoot, essentially, about uh, uh, around the campfire. Um, essentially, Thompson has been alienated the whole time because the guys clearly get a feeling that Peggy doesn't like him very much, so therefore they're not going to like him very much. But he tells the story to them of the reason why he got his his Navy Cross, and it tells them that he saved his entire camp. Um, And I love the reaction of the Howlers as they sit around the campfire. They don't ask any questions. They share the drink with them. He's now one of their group. Um, The reason why they don't ask any questions is because clearly they've all been in war. They know exactly what it's like to kill another human being. And he's now one of them. He's not just some guy that's got an office job back in the US while they're fighting the wars for them. He's someone that served his time and gotten out of it afterwards. Uh, really nice moment, really nicely played, and it's just it's just a very small scene, but it's just how it's shot and how it's put together. Really like that, really really good. Um, but my other point um, for, is is again kind of connected to both of those. This episode has the big love triangle. Really, it's been confirmed in this episode. We have uh, Thompson, who essentially is told by Chief Dooley to stop, you know, stop parading your feelings for Peggy Carter in front of me. I know you're in love with her, essentially. That's the first time mm-hmm. we've heard that, definitely. Yes. And the second one is Susan. Susan's clearly embarrassed at seeing Peggy without her shirt on um, when he goes into the, the men's changing rooms. But he's clearly has some affection for Peggy. We've seen that in the first four episodes. He's clearly got some affection for her. How is that going to change his feelings now that he knows that she's the potentially the woman with the blonde wig? Um, yeah. But I think you can see that in... Um, Sousa's face as well. I mean, it's great portrayal by Enver, absolutely. And because you see kind of a conflict flash um, across his eyes. You know, um, Thompson and Peggy, they've returned back to the SSR after their mission. Actually, we have this amazing point where Thompson's saying, Peggy, do you want to come out with the lads kind of thing? You're still buying me a drink. And you're like, "Mm." Douche, um, and but nonetheless, this is like one giant leap for for Agent Thompson, and Susa declines. But you kind of see that conflict, that that kind of pain in his eyes that the person who I fancied could actually be what, a double agent, yeah. um, 
suddenly going with Thompson as well. I mean, yeah. there's all those elements crashing yeah, into Sousa's uh, mind at this moment. Yeah, and obviously he's starting to connect that she could be working for Stark. She could be the mole in the SSR for Stark as well, because that's what they thought the blonde-haired woman was, that she was working for Stark to protect him, essentially. So, yeah, all of this stuff is playing around. Yeah. And Ed does a great job in the episode, the actor does, uh, of portraying all that definitely yeah. uh, can I ask a quick question do you yes. think this is the first time that Sousa was invited out for drinks with the lads I get the feeling that he tends to work the night shift quite a lot um, because they kind of distance themselves from him was it also an, the extension of the invite to him and to Peggy at the same time was that a first time for for Sousa I think it may have been I, I get the feeling that Thompson speaking his true story to Peggy Carter was a hugely cathartic moment. Mm. Um, it kind of links into one of my other points, actually, but I think it's hugely cathartic for him. I think he's able to um, maybe deal with some of his own shortcomings that he's had yeah. because he's been able to speak the truth. And maybe because it has been to Peggy, maybe he feels less embarrassed than if he was having to tell Chief Dooley. Right, it could yeah. be that element. Yep. Um but I think he's always kind of had uh, Sousa, Agent Sousa, on a slight par with with Peggy Carter yeah, to some extent. That's true. Uh, not that he gives his lunch menu to Agent Sousa, but that he's not seen in the same way as he sees himself or other colleagues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, will we see a change in Thompson? I hope so. Uh, he's been the big catalyst for a lot of our uh, discussions the last couple of weeks. He's been the one that's kind of been treating Peggy worst uh, out of everybody in the office so hopefully we'll start seeing a little bit of softening towards Peggy as we go John do you want to give us your next point yeah well it links into that point and it's kind of the um, slight reconciliatory nature of some of the relationships in this episode I think first off with Thompson it is that idea that, I mean, right off the bat in this episode, he does not want Peggy to come to Russia. Mm. He's still hostile towards her whilst they're there. Um, but to an extent, I suppose, he sees how the Howling Commandos respect her decision. And he probably then thinks, okay, and she can also decode Russian um, text yeah. and, and the, the codes that they're using. So it's like there is an element where he's starting to soften towards her um, and maybe feel less threatened by her. And I think maybe that's it. Yes, he maybe fancies her, as, as Chief Dooley highlights, mm. but he's always felt threatened because maybe she's a better agent than he is. And that's where his, um, his hostility towards her and his misogyny towards her has come from. Maybe. But now what we see is him kind of beginning to soften right at the end. I'm not saying he's the perfect person now and that he's still not necessarily negative towards women, but it's it's a step along the way to becoming less of that douchebag that he has been in, in the previous four episodes. Yeah. I think we also see that with Chief Dooley as well, where he's actually willing to give Peggy Carter the chance to go on this mission after she's at least initially proven herself by a decoding the the Russian uh, cipher when the male decoder couldn't do it and needed about two weeks to do it. Mm -hmm. I love the little reference to the Turing code as well. Yeah. Uh, and you have all Bletchley Park elements as well. That's fantastic. Which is obviously Alan Turing, who is um, uh, 
one of the fathers of computer science yeah. and, and computation uh, science. And it's a really interesting sort of little nod to Alan Turing. Yeah, and wasn't um, Bletchley Park where they trained the, all the female code breakers during World yeah, War II? Yeah, that's so. where the Enigma code uh, was used to break the Nazi um, sort of operational cipher that yeah. was used to do um, de uh, coded messages and orders um, to uh, ships, to submarines, to uh, other divisions and yeah. so on across Europe. So it's a hugely important little nod there. Absolutely. Um, without Alan Turing, we wouldn't be able to record a podcast, basically, because without him, we wouldn't have computers. No, exactly. I mean, it was... So that's a really nice nod, but Dooley here does an another great nod, which is kind of starts to say... I'm here, I've got the vice president on my back. This is an investigation. I can't actually afford to have some kind of ideological principle that I somehow shouldn't allow women to um, not do any work and only take lunch menus. Yeah. Um, he is more than willing in this episode to allow her to prove herself once more. And she does it with the coding, but she also gets the Howling Commandos to join them. Mm -hmm. And with that, he says, okay, point made you go in the field um, and you show me you know that you can handle this of course she can yeah um but i like that objectivity that's come in with Dooley, not only towards peggy mm -hmm. but he he does this with um a guy who he's having drinks with at the bar who's kind of one of his informants kind of on the inside mm. uh, and suddenly realizes that maybe there's more to this story than just his perspective. And maybe he he shouldn't be so het up and subjective about going after Howard Stark from a ven vengeful or, or vendetta perspective. Yeah. And so he does seek out Jarvis and says, there's my story to this at Finnau. There's Howard Stark's story to this um, from Finnau. And somewhere in between is the truth. And yeah. that's what I'm looking for. I don't want this to be personal. I don't want it to be a vendetta. And I really like that kind of, that gradual reconciliation of Dooley's views towards both Peggy and then Howard Stark, actually. Um, I just thought it was really, really good. And it does kind of answer one of the points that we were talking about, where it does seem like Dooley wasn't going to let up on the, uh, even though the trail was starting to go cold for Howard, it looks like he wasn't going to let up on that the last couple of episodes. And now he's essentially saying, even if the trail leads somewhere else, he wants a resolution to it, regardless of what that resolution is. Whether it, Howard's involved or not, he doesn't care anymore. He needs his side of the story to complete and find the truth, essentially. Yeah, really, really good. And I mean, Dooley does say right at the end in the debrief uh, by Thompson and Carter, good work, Carter. You know, it's a yeah. real good development mm -hmm. i think um, nice little in the, the throat moment really. yeah and then just finally there is that uh, jarvis seeks to reconcile himself uh, with peggy after the previous episode with the blitzkrieg button mm -hmm. um, and i think that's a really important part he also does seek to defend uh, howard stark as well and he oh, says yeah. no matter what you think he's still one of the good guys and it kind of maybe over time hits home during this episode because Peggy is asked about staying on with the Howling Commandos, mm -hmm. being uh, out and staying out in the field, not going back to the desk job. And she does kind of say, um, you know, my time on the front line is over. Someone needs to prove Stark's innocence, even if he is a wanker. <laughs> and, you know, it's really good. It's not that she's forgiven him, yeah. but I think Jarvis's sort of plea to her that 
yes, he's not the best of people to work with all the time. Yes, he can be a flirt mm-hmm. and all this, but he is one of the good guys at the end of it. Yeah. Um, despite that. And I think that somehow just filters down over the course of this episode as well. So I thought that was a nice little connection to that. But there's loads of kind of softenings Mm -hmm. and reconciliation, sort of just getting in in touch with the softer, gooier centre, I think, in this episode. (laughs) And I I really like that aspect as well. I love this, definitely. Uh, And I must say, watching Agent Carter last night while Twitter was going on in the background, uh, seeing some of the UK people watching this episode for the first time and hearing Wanker said in a Marvel property twice within about six minutes, I think it was, yeah. um, seeing the reactions on there going, how do they get this past the censors in the US? You know, it's fantastic. Uh, somebody's done their homework on how to use how to use proper British slang, essentially. Really good. Yeah, and I love the fact that, you know, she's offered to, to, to stay by Dum Dum Duggan with the Howling Commandos, yeah. and he talks about her, well, you could be... Miss Union Jack. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's like she just don't speak to me again. Yeah, and it's like so cool. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little note about that one in a little while. Baby Spice might put on the Union Jack as a dress, but <laughs> thankfully, thank God, our Agent Carter doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, but there was a lot of reaction on there uh, at the thought of of possibly. Agent Carter getting a getting a costume and uh, being a costume vigilante like Miss Union Jack. No, it would be cool. Mm -hmm. It's just the name is dreadful. I know. Anyway, but we'll talk about it. Like Captain America, who came up with a name like that? Hey, he's a symbol. I'm I'm messing. (laughs) It just doesn't work the same way with sort of Britain or Union Jack. I I I don't think it works the same way. It would be like. Union you Jack know, is better than ma- Captain Britain, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there is a Captain Britain. I know. Too. That's equally Cano. as bad. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, you know, Captain Trickler. Yeah, there wouldn't be a Captain Ireland, I don't think. A Captain Ooh, Although there could be. Actually, listeners, if you know of a Captain Ireland, uh, pop that into us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Um, I, think, I think there might be somewhere I think in the there head is telling somewhere. me there's a... There's a Captain Era. I don't or think it's quite like as blatant as that, though. I don't think but so. it's just so blatant, yeah. that, that kind of name for something. Yeah. So I'm glad she says, don't speak to me again, because it is kind of like, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not doing Baby Spice. <laughs> Derek, what's your uh, final point? Uh, my final point is kind of returning to uh, to a first point, uh, just about Dottie. It's actually the break into Peggy's room, because I think it is fan. Fantastic. We really are getting to see a lot of Dottie now. Um, we saw her snap the neck uh, last episode of uh, of what I thought was going to be the big bad of the series. Uh, and now we get our backstory. That was um, Minky Minkerton, wasn't it? It was something like that. Yeah, the mink uh, or mink. Uh, but yeah, really interesting. But just how they set her up, and it's particularly this scene, it's the music. Um, the male choral, choral choir, I guess you call it, is kind of her soundtrack. It's kind of her theme uh, throughout the episode. Really interesting, I thought. Uh, you just reminded me of um, Carl from The Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Coral. Coral. No, that's how I say Coral. Coral. Um, yeah, um, no, it did. It was uh, really, really good. It ca- it sounded very um, Howard Shaw, actually, in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That kind of, the, the evil kind of, um, or even the, the, the dwarf kind of male, deep male tones that kind of played every time that Dottie was on the um 
on the screen and just um it was really really good it had a real menace to it almost like a monk chant as well added to it absolutely and then and the fact that it's underpinning some of the the weird stuff she's doing in the room you know you mentioned earlier on she goes through peggy's knicker drawer essentially um picks up her lipstick and sniffs it which is a bit weird again luckily she didn't put it on her face um but then she picks up the photograph of steve the photograph of pre-captain america steve rogers and puts on a perfect british accent saying absolutely i'm peggy carter john what does it mean what's happened here what's she doing does she want to be peggy does she want to be with steve What's 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 the deal? What's what's happening? Is she charged with eliminating Peggy and becoming Peggy? Mm. Um, Really interesting. And she certainly knows her tricks as well, because I thought the string over the Yale lock as well. It's just a nice little touch, which from a show that is kind of, you know, 1940s espionage, Cold War, start of Cold War espionage, Mm -hmm. spy thrillers. These touches are so important. And again, really, really good. Absolutely loved it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, really, really loved it. Love Dottie in this episode. Gosh, can't wait. Um, all, one other final question about Dottie. Her surname's Underwood. Do you think she had any connection with Frank Underwood from House of Cards? I kind of get the feeling that he could possibly have a spy in his past, a Russian spy at that. Um, now he's president of America. Spoilers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, is there some connection between Dottie Underwood and Frank Underwood? I think. Maybe. Um, maybe he is a... Russian sleeper cell. Maybe. Maybe Dottie's the one that knocks. In the knocks. White House, and Dottie is his sister. Yeah, maybe Dottie's the one that knocks, possibly. Mm. With that, John, what's your last point? My last point is really just how forceful I think Peggy is in, in this show oh, to yeah. get on the ticket for that mission to Russia. And mm-hmm. um, I love the fact that, um, you know, against the protestations of Agent Thompson, against the, the potential... Um, worries that Chief Dooley has about letting her go to Russia. I mean, I think Dooley says, you know, if I let a man go and he dies, you know, I have to to write the letter and so on and, and go back. But I, I've I've let him down. I don't want to be the person that sends a woman to her death. You know, it's yeah. it's very much that kind of um, that women aren't supposed to do that kind of job. And if yeah. I'm the first person to get a woman killed doing that job. How's that going to look at me? I mean, it's kind of slightly self-centered. Absolutely. And he says, and what would be even worse is if you got somebody else killed and I'm the one that sent you there. It's That's an awful thought that's, again, going through Dooley. Exactly. But I love her forcefulness to get on that ticket mm-hmm. that, you know, she she shows her worth by, um, by being able to decode the cipher. Mm-hmm. She upstages the man who should quite, in his own right, be able to do it just as easily and she shows her worth and proves her worth um, by getting the Howling Commandos to tag along and be tactical support for their team the SSR team Mm -hmm. Um, and then she shows her worth by going in and doing her thing and, and being tactically aware. I mean, there is that moment where she questions some of Thompson's tactics before they go in that, you know, Two groups of four are going to be safer. I think she pulls him up on. Um, and as we're supposed to be discreet and we don't quite know what we're up against, two groups of four, you know, bigger groups to protect one another. Yeah. Better than, I think it was 
um, four groups of two or, or whatever it was. So, you know, huge tactical awareness, and it's recognised by Thompson and by Dooley by the end of it. But I really like that strength of character that Peggy has to say, come hell or high water, I'm off to Russia to find out about this. Stark's name has been mentioned. He's been potentially connected. I need to check, you know, is he, again, is he actually going to be there to do an exchange of weaponry with Leviathan? Is that why he was back the week before? So it all ties into that as well. And I just thought it was really good, that that strength of character of Peggy in this episode. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Really, really good. So, Derek, have you got any notes, um, Howling Commando notes for this uh, episode? Just the one, just coming back to the Union Jack. Um, really interesting little touch there. Um, Union Jack is actually a character in Marvel comic books, and he was. Is and let's not confuse it with Union J, <laughs> definitely which not is Union a J. boy band yeah. that didn't win the UK X Factor. That's right, that's right. Oh, definitely not Union J. This is Union Jack. Um, he was James Montgomery Falsworth. You mentioned that name earlier on, didn't I? Um, yes, that character was in Captain America, the first Avenger. He's the one that looked like Percy Pinky Pinker- Pinkerton. Um, yeah, the guy with the guy with the beret in uh, in the first Avenger. So that's James Falsworth. That's Union Jack in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We may never see that character again, but that is the that is the Marvel Cinematic history of him. So I like the fact that just kind of threw away that little gag that. Maybe Peggy Carter could be Miss Union Jack, so to match up with Fallsworth, which is a nice little gag. Uh, good little joke. Nice little note. Um, That's really good. Yeah. John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter, episode five, The Iron Ceiling? I really do defend this episode of Agent Carter. I think this episode was absolutely the best so far. I have a feeling it will be the standout of... The season one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, still got another three episodes to, to play with, but that's my prediction. Um, I would give this four and a half Pinky Pinkertons and Junior Junipers well out of five. And I just thought the introduction of the Howling Commandos showed Peggy absolutely at her best and really showed the SSR um, and um, all the other doubters and naysayers in the SSR, that she can hold her own, she can do her thing, and she is as good, if not better, than any other agent in that uh, organisation. I think it has some really good intrigue by um, exploring the Red Room um, and Dottie Underwood, really creepy, really shocking. Um, it, It really starts to show a softening of some of the harder sort of misogynists in the SSR with Dooley and with Thompson towards Carter because she has proven herself. She knows her worth. And that is now beginning to show through that that strength of character. And it's a really kind of good watershed moment, I think, for, for the season. But on the cusp of all of that, despite all of this... She is on the knife edge. She is on the precipice because Sousa has discovered and is now moving rapidly towards the conclusion that the blonde-haired lady in the photo with her back to the camera has got the same wounds on her shoulder as he saw 
in the men's locker room whilst Agent Carter was getting changed. Mm -hmm. And so despite all of this, um, there's real jeopardy there. And this, to me, was just absolutely excellent. So, yeah, four and a half Pinky Pinkertons and Junior Junipers out of five. I said it twice. Well done. (laughs) Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? How can I not? How can I not? Um, I don't do ratings for the episodes. That's that's definitely your thing, John. If I was, it would be five wahoos out of five. Um, This was absolutely far beyond what I thought it was going to be. For the series as a whole, this episode was absolutely needed. We've had four episodes now where we have gotten the story of how you know how difficult it can be in uh, in that and 40s era USA for a woman um, and for an injured vet coming home from war. Um, What we needed was not just to hear people had Peggy's back. What we needed was to see her best friends gathering around her and showing that they believed in her and they trusted in her implicitly. Um, Having an episode with the Howlers so well put together was enough to give this the best rating so far. But also having the revelations as you said, of Thompson actually being not a wanker, um, of Sousa knowing now that Peggy was connected all the way back to um, to the blonde-haired woman, and, of course, Dottie. Oh, love that character. I am so excited to see what a bad Black Widow is like. We've seen a good Black Widow now in two Avengers films and Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, we're now going to see a bad Black Widow in the 40s. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait to see more. And we still know that Howard Stark is a wanker. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. that's, that's three in this episode, but this is a 14th podcast, remember, so we're able to say that. Um, I think it's time to go on to our feedback. So we got some feedback uh, from last week's episode. I did throw out the question as we were going through. I was wondering why Thompson was calling Peggy Marge. We got a, an influx of uh, of feedback on that um first one was from at the spider-man 360 on twitter who says i believe that marge is just a nickname for margaret which is peggy's real name yeah uh rebecca said it's also a put down in my honest opinion using a short version of her name that isn't one she uses like calling me becky yeah doug green says uh, peggy's a shortened version of margaret or marge clearly not her preferred one and zach um says I also found it confusing when they referred to Peggy as Marge. Turns out Peggy is a nickname for Margaret, which is her actual first name. Now, what the connection between Peggy and Margaret is, I don't know, but that's what it is. There you go. Thanks very much. So essentially, Marge is obviously because Peggy's Margaret, Peggy Carter. So there you go. So interesting. Um, I still feel, though, that the fact that Thompson's using it in the way he's using it is definitely meant as an insult. I think from Rebecca's point... It's the fact that it's it's using a shortened name that he doesn't like, like calling me Dell, essentially. Um, but you like being called Dell. I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan of Dell boy. Um, so I'm not, <laughs> not a big fan of being called Dell. But I know people that call you Dell. There boy. are some people that call me Dell boy. Yep. But uh, I'm not well, a big fan. It's better than Dell because then you yeah. just sound like a computer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Delete that nickname. Um, <laughs> Zach also sent on a bit of feedback about uh, about another comment I made last week, which was uh, also Fantastic Four has Kate Mara in it, not her sister Rooney Mara playing Sue. It's an easy mistake to make, though. They look very similar. Uh, I want to say it had nothing to do with the look of Kate or Rooney Mara. I'm a huge fan of both of those actresses. Uh, I love Kate Mara in House of Cards season one. She was fantastic. Uh, and Rooney Mara in one of my favorite films of all time, uh, the remake, the American remake of uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where she where she plays Lisbeth. I love both of them. 
it's honestly was a slip of the tongue. I would never confuse them normally. It was just absolutely slipped up on it. Um, so, but thanks very much for pointing it out, Zach. And thanks for sending in your email to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. And thanks to the rest of you for sending in your Twitter feedback to Defenders Cast on Twitter. Absolutely. We have another piece of feedback then um, on email from feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com uh, about Howard Stark's faith. Uh, the subject line for the email is Howard Carter. Mm. So Rebecca goes on and says, Okay, so the Lower East Side speech that Howard gave, many people, myself included, believe this is an allusion to Howard being Jewish. Not that that would make Tony Jewish, because we know nothing of MCU Maria. But it would have quite an implication about his actions during World War II and why he wants to help the US government defeat the Nazis and... Hmm. Has Jarvis said how he and Howard met yet? If so, it adds to that too. If not, watch out for it. Howard helping Jarvis get off the prosecution for releasing his wife from the Nazis. Obviously, his wife, Elana, from Hungary. Uh, of course, rethinking this email should probably have recognised that in the comics. Tony is adopted, so religion wouldn't matter too much. But I think in the MCU, they won't go that route. Too complicated to explain and not really necessary plot-wise, except to confuse things. Also, Rebecca um, spots her mistake from the subject line of the email and goes on to say... Also, seriously, Howard Carter? You can see I work at 2am each morning. I'm deranged. No, you're not deranged. You're probably just tired, Rebecca. I think I would be working at 2am in the morning. Um, Yeah, it's Howard Stark, and I don't think they ever meet up (laughs) and, and have... A relationship. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. But um, no, some that... fans might want that. Though. There's a little bit of shipping of Howard and uh, and Peggy um, early on. I think. I think during this series, not many people like Howard, so I'm not too sure whether people want Peggy to end off with him. Probably more of a Sousa or Thompson uh, vibe going on now in the series. Maybe, yeah. definitely. But I definitely think it's a real good um, point out about that link between Jarvis and uh, Howard Stark helping Jarvis, um, obviously, in the end, to to rescue the love of his life, almost like a Schindler-esque type moment there. Um, And that's definitely um, an allusion to um, Howard uh, being Jewish, certainly as well in terms of the Lower East Side uh, speech as well. So that was really good, and I would agree as well. Probably if they started introducing the religious element to the MCU and to, to Tony Stark and that, it would just overly complicate things. So that's, I would say, absolutely spot on there, Rebecca, yeah. as well. Really um, good catch, Rebecca. Really but thank catch. you yeah, so much for, for the email. It's really good to get um, everyone's feedback. Remember, feedback can come through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. It can come through our Twitter handle at DefendersCast. And, of course, there's been some really good back and forth um, this week over on our Facebook group. Um, You can search for Defenders TV Podcast on on Facebook. Join our group. Link to our page on Facebook as well. And there's been some really good um, feedback there on uh, the Fantastic Four and everything that was 
possibly right or wrong about yeah. it. Yeah, we don't want to bring up the feedback this week just in case you are going to go and see the film. Um, we'll probably bring it into one of our later episodes, but if you want to join the conversation over there, just as John said, search for Defenders TV Podcast and join the group there. And there's a lot of discussion going on. Uh, usually get our episodes a little bit earlier. We usually post them in there and some thoughts and some news stories as we as we catch them as well. So uh, pop on over and join. It's great. Be a little present for our 25th episode. Absolutely. Um, remember, you can listen to us and subscribe to us so that we come popping in your ears um, through www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or search Defenders TV Podcast on any good podcast catcher like Podcast Beyond, Podcast Addict or Player FM. And of course, the Stitcher as well. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Really Great episode um, of Agent Carter this week, Mm -hmm. The Iron Ceiling. Um, Obviously, Derek will be howling with joy for the rest of the week as he's seen his howling commandos, but a really good episode. It's worth a watch. I can't say more about it. This was fantastic. Wahoo. Stop wahooing and help. 